How can something be true and not true at the same time? Um, well, when we look at a scripture passage like the passages about the origins um, or the creation accounts, we have stories that in their literal uh, reception are clearly not true. And we've known, we believe this as Catholics for centuries. God did not create the world in six days. This is not a problem for Catholics because we don't have a problem using intellect, right? We believe that the intellect, although darkened, is, is not completely depraved. And, and, you know, the fossil record, science, etc., all of these things we believe should be incorporated into how we understand divine revelation. Uh, furthermore, um, you know, very good theologians, including uh, uh, Pope uh, Benedict, Benedict XVI, also, you know, agrees that very likely the creation accounts were not written down until after the, the Babylonian exile, which places them actually very close to Christ. So, what is first in the Bible, the Old Testament, let's say, what is first in the Old Testament actually was probably written down some of the latest in the Old Testament uh, as far as everything in, in, in that Testament. So what is the, the book of Genesis really about? Well, look, think of it in a very human way. If you're a culture that has been, it's been revealed to you that God has created all things, that all things came to be from nothing, and he's revealed certain things about human nature and the rest and, and what it means that man has authority over nature. But, you know, you're going to teach people a story, especially before you have literacy. You don't have literacy. Like, we don't have literacy on, well, we still don't really have literacy, but it's better now than it used to be, right? But even 100 years ago. Okay, so you're in a culture where very few people even read, let alone write stuff down. So the writing stuff down is later because everyone's like, you know, we better write this down because we're going to die. The people who are remembering the story and are handing on the story, you know, we want to make sure the story stays right and true. Okay, so you create a story. Now, now those of you who are scripture uh, scholars or um, aficionados, the, the technical term is historical myth. We might think of it as, and I, I don't really want to get into a debate about literary genre, but um, you know, we, perhaps more like allegory. So you have a story that is true, but it's true in a deep way, not in a surface way. Let me explain. I'm not going to do the whole deal because, you know, you have other things to do. Um, but let's just look at what we have here from Genesis and then how it relates to Mary, Mary and Jesus. So we have, of course, uh, the creation of the Garden of Eden. Did a Garden of Eden exist? No. No. Get it out of your heads. We're not, we're not Bible Christians. We don't do that. It's not what we do. We use our intellect. Okay, there were dinosaurs. So anyway, God created all things, you know, 
And he created man. So here's the deeper meaning. Created man in this original union with him. There was no separation. There's no division. There was no sin. Okay, so Adam, the first man, as it were, is created in this union with God. No division. And then God creates, you know, all things, um, all the other animals, and then he creates Eve, etc. And then he gives them one commandment. Well, he gives them a few commandments, but uh, the, the main don't do this is don't eat of this tree, the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. So was there a garden? No, there wasn't a garden. Was there a tree? No, there wasn't a tree. It's not about the tree. It's a story because why? You remember the story. The kids remember the story. That's the point of a story. What's the deeper meaning? God gave them commandments. He asked them to be obedient to him. Okay, and then how were they uh, tempted away from that? Well, it was Satan who tempted them away with the very sin that he committed, seeking to be like God. They sought to be greater than they had been created. All right? And so they're tempted by that, by Satan, and uh, they end up eating of the fruit. They end up grasping what is beyond them, okay, which is to seek to determine for themselves good from evil which only belongs to God. They sought to be like God. This is Satan's sin, and it's the greatest sin that human beings can commit, seeking to be like God, determining good from evil. It's basically post-modernity. That's why I keep circling back to it. But also, as, as we hear about the account, it's so human if you look at the deeper things. So after the, man, after the man, Adam, had eaten of the tree, the Lord God called him and said, where are you? Well, God knew where he was. So that's not true that he didn't know where he was. He knew where, he's God. He knows where everything is. The point was that Adam was hiding. He said, I heard you, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Interesting. But God knew where he was. But Adam now, the relationship had changed such that Adam was fearing God. He felt like he had to hide himself from God. And this is very human. Think of the times that, that you have sinned and you stop saying your prayers. Oh, God doesn't want to hear from me or I'm embarrassed to talk to God or I can't go to church because I sinned or I did X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, and then there's this alienation. And we have it on the human level as well. When we offend each other, there's... It, you know, there's that initial alienation before the reconciliation. We don't want to come back together right away. We're embarrassed. We're, it's uncomfortable. We have to, you know, make up and address the things that need to be addressed. And then when we do, you know, we think, well, why in the world were we ever apart? It's just a very human thing that's happening here. Okay. So the, the very human, just, it's, sorry, it's just, it's always... There's always funny things going on in my head, and uh, that might be something for somebody else to talk to me about. But um, so, so remember, Adam is created, and then God creates all the other animals, right? And he's like, Adam, take care of the animals, and so he does. But, you know, and the animals were fine, but he couldn't give himself to an animal. Like, 
There wasn't, the animals weren't like him. They were too different, you know? And then God creates Eve. And we, <laughs> we even hear it in the scriptures, you know, right? God creates Eve and Adam goes, whoa, there it is. That's what I was after all along. Yeah, okay, she's different, you know. So he's really excited about as, you know, so this is a very human, you know, kind of thing that men, all men can understand. Um, and so there's that reaction like, oh, thank you, God. You know, this is, so now there's somebody I can give myself to. I can be intimate with, right? In, in many, many ways, I can become one with. Until this happens, um, and then God says, well, you've eaten then from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat. And the man replies, the woman who you put here with me, <laughs> she gave me the food to eat, and so I ate it, right? So it used to be, wow, she's great, and now because of sin, you have alienation with God, and you have alienation between Adam and Eve, and now Adam is blaming his wife. That never happens. So Adam is blaming his wife for his own action, which is sinful. Um, and so the blame shifting begins. So then God goes to the woman. Why did you do this? You know, why did you tempt your husband? And she basically says, it's not my fault. The serpent tricked me. He did it. You know, it's his fault. So again, very human, right? I mean, this is something particularly that, that children can very much relate to, but even adults, which is this sort of shifting of blame. It's not my fault, it's my brother's fault, it's my sister's fault, it's my wife's fault, it's my husband's fault, right? I mean, so we try to offload that blame so we don't get in trouble, and that's what's happening here. So what, what's happening here, the, the, the surface isn't really about what's true, it's the depth, it's the deeper meaning that is trying to be conveyed through a story that people are gonna remember. That's the kind of literature it is. And so then, of course, God, you know, there's all these punishments for, uh, for the sin, but particularly the, the main punishments are suffering and death, um, which we believe is, is carried on through, through the human race. So the first Adam and the first Eve were created in perfect harmony with God. There was no sin. There was, there was presumably, you know, no suffering in the, the fashion that we know it, degradation of, of the mind and, and the will. It didn't, it, it didn't exist. Complete harmony. Sin happens, and the story here is about how sin fractures that relationship and brings with it grave, grave consequences. E even the whole nakedness thing. What does it mean that we're naked? You know, because God's like, what do you mean you're naked? You've always been naked, Adam. It just dawned on you that you're naked? That's not what it's about. It's about now that his relationship with his wife has been fractured, his nakedness becomes, and hers, becomes a liability relationally. Now they can become objectified by each other because sin has entered in. Now they can be seen as objects of domination or lust, and they need to protect themselves. That's the deeper meaning. That's why he's afraid. That's why he's hiding. That's why, because the whole thing has been shaken. All right. So then... We move forward a few centuries, quite a few, and we get to 
the fullness of time when the Father decides to bring redemption into the world. And the way, the manner in which he chooses to do so is he chooses to involve humanity in the solution. Could God have just said, you're forgiven? I mean, presumably he could have. Why couldn't he? But just like any good father, any good parent who's trying to teach their children a lesson, even though they have failed, he helps them become a part of the solution. He helps them be a part of redemption. And so God, in his triune majesty, Father, Son, and Spirit, create one human being without original sin. Just like Eve was created without original sin, of course, Mary is created. He's going to give human beings a a new opportunity. So we have a new Eve who is created. In fact, Jesus himself, right, creates his own mother. So she is created as the new Eve, and she is given the opportunity to say yes or no. It is not demanded of her. Just like in the garden, Adam and Eve were given a yes or a no, so in the new creation, a yes or a no is required. And so through the angel Gabriel, Mary is asked, will you consent to God's plan? And theoretically, I guess she could have said no, but given that she's full of grace and, you know, we have in that moment, God involving us in the solution. That's why she's the greatest among us. That's why she is the image of the church. She is the most perfect model of discipleship. A woman is that for us, notably. And then, of course, through her, yes, the new Adam, who is God and man, the new Adam comes into the world. And the new Adam is even given a yes or a, a, you know, required a yes or a no in the garden. You think of his suffering in the garden. He didn't want to, in his humanity, he didn't want to have to suffer that. Who would? It would he wouldn't have had a human nature if, if, uh, if he didn't have some resistance to that reality. So even in the garden, he's saying, you know, if this cup can pass me by, that would be fine with me. But that was not the Father's will. And so he consented to it as well. And so here, in the new creation, you have the Father giving humanity a new chance, a new start, with a new Eve and a new Adam, both created without original sin, so that they could begin this redemption story. It's Jesus who redeemed us, but Mary in a very special way participated. She cooperated. And the father desired her to be a part of it because he wanted us to be a part of the solution. And so it's fitting then that we have so many feasts for Mary because she's the greatest among us. We should remember her so much. As Catholics, you know, If somebody says something bad about our mother, them's fighting words. 
You know, even about the Blessed Mother. Don't get me started on that. She's our mother. We love her. And what greater honor? I suppose there could be, but what greater honor is there to Jesus than to honor his mother who stood by him throughout his life all the way to the cross and to the grave and through the resurrection and ascension? Please stand.